head back to be with our team in Transformation Station this morning. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. So if you're using one of the Bibles we provide for you there, it's page 979. We are almost to the end of the book of Ephesians. Uh, we have this week and next week, we'll sum, sum it up next week. Uh, and I, I hope, I really hope that you have enjoyed this journey. I hope that you have come to know more of what it means to be in Christ. I hope that you understand that these two words sum up the totality of our lives as followers of Jesus. And I hope that even if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, that you'll come to discover the significance of Christ and all that he means for us. So uh, we'll be diving in to Ephesians 6, focusing on verses 13 through 20 uh, this morning. And my name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill. It's great to see you this morning, and it's an honor to be able to share God's life-giving truth with you. Well, uh, I don't know about you, but, but as the temperatures climb, I am getting just more and more excited about the summer. I mean, I love summertime. Can, it, can anybody identify with me just a little bit? Don't be shy. All right, thank you very much. I know some of you out there, uh, you have a little more of a technical mind. And you're thinking, well, Tanner, you know, it's not the summer yet, okay? Like, check a little closely, more closely in your calendar. That's June 21st is when summer begins, all right? But listen, I just, I'm, I'm just gonna kind of push back and say, in New England, when we have multiple days in the 80s and it's feeling good and consistently warm weather, I'm calling it the summer, all right? So... I'm feeling good. It's summertime. I love the summertime. Summertime's a great time to spend a little extra time with friends and family. The days are longer. It's great to get outside, maybe pull out the grill. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, just yesterday, I took our oldest to ballet class. And uh, afterwards, I see the, the gas lights on. Like, Parker, we have to go uh, get some gas afterwards. Like, maybe we should drop by the grocery store and pick up some meat and vegetables for the grill. And you know, after my like great parenting skills of talking her into that and the mercy of God, because she was in her ballet outfit, she was kind of you know, hesitant to go in the grocery store with her ballet outfit on. Like after, after those great parents, we pick up the, I, I, I'll splurge a little bit, got a steak, all right? A couple, couple corn on the cob, you know, potatoes. I mean, we're just enjoying the warm weather, throwing Frisbee while the grill's going on. I mean, there, there's so much to do, right? So much to do in the summertime after, especially after such a brutal winter, all right? Now, I hate to go back there, but you remember the, those 110 inches of snow that we experienced, right? You guys remember that? So, so all the more reason to enjoy the summer. The summer is a great time to kind of kick back, relax, and enjoy all that is going on uh, in our lives and around the city of Boston. Now, now let, me, let me just give you a thought here. Um, it is great to enjoy the summer, all right? And in fact, we see, we see in the Bible, we need to hear this as Bostonians, right, who are constantly on the go, go very ambitious, all right? We, we wanna get things done. We want to have uh, successful lives, right? Um, so, so we go hard. We need to hear that God actually wants us to rest. 
He wants us to, to take some time each week to, to rest and to enjoy him. And that should be a natural rhythm in our lives as, as, as you know, your, your schedule permits and your work lives permit. Man, take vacation time. It's a good thing. But, but, but that's just kind of one principle. Let's think about this. Sometimes spiritually speaking, we take this, this desire for rest, we take this desire to kind of kick back and, and enjoy kind of, kind of, you know, life in the hammock, and we assume that the Christian life is really kind of one big spiritual summer vacation. All right, now, now, now even if, Theologically, you know that's not true. Practically, sadly enough, that's how many Christians live their lives. We are are in good shape. We are all set. We can sit back and relax, chill, hit chill mode. You know, I mean, however you want to put that, oftentimes we can become so passive in our Christian life that we think, man, everything is good, and I don't really have to work hard and engage in God's mission. So as we saw last week, and as Micah has so helpfully introduced today, the Christian life is given a metaphor in the New Testament, and that is one of a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, last week, Joel introduced that that we are in a spiritual war, and God has called us to engage in the battle daily, hourly, moment by moment. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you engaged in the battle? Are you actively fighting the good fight of faith? Um, A.W. Tozer says this about our propensity to kind of sit back and relax. He says this, men think of the world not as a battleground, but as a playground. And then another author, John Piper, says this. He says, we have stopped believing that we are in a war. No urgency, no watching, and no vigilance. No strategic planning, just easy peace and prosperity. And so wherever you find yourself today, what I want to invite you to is not a spiritual peacetime mentality, but a spiritual wartime mentality. This morning, we're going to see that, that Paul wants us to prepare for what we could call the fight of our lives. And it is a fight that we will continue to fight day by day until we meet Christ one day. So um, his main exhortation that he's going to give us is this. Dress in complete armor so that we can stand strong and advance victorious in Christ. Dress in complete armor so that we can stand strong and advance victorious in Christ. If you would, read along with me as I lead us through verses 13 through 20 of Ephesians 6. Here we go. Paul writes, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so as Joel highlighted last week, what we have here is Paul is bringing his stirring letter to a strategic conclusion. All right, you may remember, if you've been tracking with us since the beginning of the year, that chapters one, two, and three, they're, they're heavily, heavily uh, doctrinal, okay? They have a lot of truth about God and his salvation and who we are now in Christ. But as we get into chapter four, he's gonna get very practical and he's gonna say, like, this is how you take this theology and you put it into practice in your everyday life, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, as you're doing your nine to five or your 10 to two or whatever your th- deal is. Like, this is real life, boots on the ground that we are to live. And so at the beginning of chapter four, he's gonna say, walk worthy. And he's gonna go into um, how we build others up and how we speak the truth in love and how we walk in love and how we walk in wisdom and we make the best use of our time and how we treat one another in our relationships, whether they're at home or in the workplace. But Paul is coming to this conclusion and he's saying, in order for you to do all of that, you have to understand that we are in a spiritual battle and we must be ready every day for the fight. And so what I wanna do is give you three encouragements centered around this spiritual battle that we are engaged in, if we're in Christ, that have to do with, one, the nature of the battle, two, how we fight in the battle, and then three, our attitude as we engage in the, in the fight, all right? So number one, recognize the fight of your life is an intense fight. Recognize the fight of your life is an intense fight. Look back at verses 10 through 12, just by way of review. This is, this is what Paul writes to start off. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So there's the exhortation, be strong. Be strong how? In the Lord. It's all, it's all God's grace that is helping us in this battle. And so then how do we do that? Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then verse 12, like he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so I know that we are so prone to looking at life from kind of a natural point of view. We see things that are happening around us and we assume that, man, when someone offended us, that now we are in conflict with them alone. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do, actually, because we fail to remember that there are spiritual realities and spiritual forces that are influencing our lives that that want us to uh, maybe react in a way that is not consistent with what we see here. So, So we need to understand that every issue in life is a spiritual issue. 
If you, if you don't really believe that in your heart yet, I mean, if you don't really just kind of, if that doesn't like, oh yeah, of course, like I get that. Like you need to write that down, put that on your fridge. Like every issue is a spiritual issue. Every issue in your life, as you're, as you're going through your day-to-day, as you're engaging in relationships, okay, every issue is a spiritual one. And if that is true, my friends, then we need to be spiritually prepared for what God is setting before us each day. So then Paul goes on to say in verse 13, he, he starts to get more specific. He says, therefore, in light of all this, and therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be with, able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I mean, when, when you see uh, repetition in the scripture, you can know that that concept is probably pretty important. So we've already been exhorted to stand. Now we see withstand, stand firm. Uh, here, here, is, here is the conclusion. Why is it so important to stand firm? It is because we have a supernatural enemy. If we're gonna win this supernatural battle, then we must know our supernatural enemy And what we see here is is that that Satan, the devil, is a vicious enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 put it like this. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. So we see that that, that Satan is, I mean, I think you, you get this, but I, but I hope you understand, like he is not nice. He is out to get us. I mean, I know that's like simple, like, pfft, yeah, I get that, but, but no, like he does not love you, he hates you. He wants to take you out. He is willing to do anything to disrupt. Um, if you're not a Christian, keeping you from knowing Christ, and if you are a Christian, keeping you from thriving in Christ. Okay, so let me just be really clear. Satan can never take someone's salvation. Satan can never uh, take our relationship with God um, because that is eternally secure, as we're gonna see even as it's laid out in this this armor that we wear. Um, But he does want to disrupt our fellowship with God. He does want to disrupt our effectiveness for God. And so he is a vicious enemy, okay? He is not, uh, he is not gonna kind of like get your attention. Woohoo! hey, I'm over here. Here comes a fiery dart. It's kind of funny and not funny, right? It's like, <laughs> no, he is, he is deceitful. He is devious. He is subtle. He lies to us. He wants to press in on us when we are weak and vulnerable, so you've probably experienced this in your Christian life. A lot of time, the, the most heavy attack comes when? When you're weak, when you're tired, when you're alone, when you're stressed out, or when you least expect it. After you've had some kind of spiritual high and things are going really good in life, and then all of a sudden it's like, man, where did that come from? Where did that thought come from? Where did that action come from? Man, I thought things were really, really good here. And then all of a sudden, he takes our legs out from under us. So the enemy is vicious and the battle is unending. Okay, we face temptation every single day. There's no days off in this war. We could say succinctly that life is war. It's, 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 it's ongoing every single day. And as we've already implied, the battle is fought in the 
the everyday context of everyday life. I like what David Pallison says about, about spiritual warfare. He, he asks this question, what is, what is the look and feel of spiritual warfare? And he says this, it looks like the Christian life. It looks like waking up each day and having to put on love and put off um, you know, negativity and self, selfishness. It looks like speaking in a way that builds others up and not tears others down. It's just the everyday motions of life. That's where the, the battle is waged. And so thankfully in this spiritual battleground, as we fight against spiritual uh, forces, we have these supernatural resources that God gives us. And in verse 13, there's a key phrase here. Let's not miss it. He says, put on the whole armor of God. It means to take up the complete equipment that God has given us for the fight. What I love about God is he gives us everything we need. He says, look, you can operate in the strength that I'm going to supply you, and you can have all of the resources that you need for the daily grind, and I'm going to give you those too. So we have everything we need for the battle. The, the, the key for us then is to wear each piece of the armor. So think about this. How many, how many uh, leaks in a ship might cause it to sink? Just one, right? One, one leak could sink a ship, right? One, one missing piece of armor can be very detrimental to our walk with God and for God. So Paul says, like, take up the whole armor of God. Wear the complete armor that God has given you. So, um, so, so this, this battle that we're in, we need to recognize that it is intense. But then secondly, what we see in verses 14 through 20 is that we should seek complete victory by wearing this complete armor. How do we stand and fight? We put on the belt, we put on the breastplate, we put on the shoes, we take up the shield, we wear the helmet, we get out our sword. And these are all metaphors for truth and righteousness and faith and salvation. Jeremiah, glad you could come today, bro. Um, the, the word of God, faith, they're all metaphors for how God is working to give us what we need in the fight. And so it's usually assumed here that Paul, Paul was writing Ephesians, we believe, from a Roman prison. And so most people conclude that he is looking at a Roman soldier and he is thinking, okay, yes, this is how God has equipped us. And I want to say that is not less than true, but there is more going on than that. All right, what we're going to see is that Paul, because he was a, a, a Jew who knew the Old Testament really, really well and was waiting for the Messiah, he knew that God was a warrior, he is a warrior, and he and his Messiah are equipped for battle. And so I'm going to show you in just a bit how that the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, these are all uh, pieces of the armor that not just we wear, but that the Messiah wears himself. Okay, so it's not less than a Roman soldier, but it is also much more than that in that this is the armor of God. This is the armor of the Messiah, and he has given it to us. And so what is this complete armor? Let's walk through them one by one. Verse 14, we see the first piece of the armor, and it is the belt of truth. 
We wear truth. Truth refers to the truth of God, and immediately we might think, okay, the, the truth of God is found in the word of God, um, but I think that the main idea here is not uh, the, the word yet, okay, we're gonna see that down in verse 17 with the, with the word of God, the sword of the spirit, but I think what Paul is getting at is that we need to live lives that are in accordance with God's truth. We need to live lives that correspond to the reality that God wants us to live in, God's design for our lives. Now, we know that from, from the Bible, okay? So it's not, it's not um, divorced from the truth that we see in, in the Bible, but the, the emphasis here is on loyalty and faithfulness, living in step with the truth of God. And so the metaphor here is a belt of truth. A belt would, would keep everything together for the soldier, it would enable him to move quickly and be agile so that he can be spiritually prepared for a vigorous fight. First, we are to strap on the belt of truth. And Isaiah 11.5 talks about how the, the, the spirit of the Lord who was on the Messiah, he would come with faithfulness or truth around his waist. Next, we see that we should take up the breastplate of righteousness. Now, all of these, these pieces are important, right? The breastplate is covering our heart, right? Such an important organ. And, and so uh, is this the, the righteousness that God gives us in Christ when we're saved? Or is this the daily righteousness that we are to walk in and practice day by day? Okay, so let me explain. I think it's really a both and. When we, when we receive Christ as our Lord, we put our faith in him, he gives us the, a gift the gift of righteousness. And what that means is now when God looks at Tanner, he doesn't see the old me and all of my sin and all the things that separated me from him, but now he sees the righteousness of Christ that I now am robed in and he counts me righteous in his sight. It's an amazing truth. That's, that's justification. We are, we are justified in the sight of God. We are proclaimed not guilty because of what Christ has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. I hope you know that righteousness of Christ in your own life. But now, as God counts us righteous, we are to walk in righteousness. We are, in the words of John in his little letters at the end of the, the Bible, we are to practice righteousness. We are to, day by day, engage in righteous deeds. And so as we, as we practice righteousness, here's the beautiful thing. We grow stronger and stronger and stronger and are more uh, ready to uh, engage in this, in this fight. One act of righteousness after another strengthens us for the battle that continues to lie ahead. And so I wanna show you from Isaiah how this is all uh, pointing, pointing us back to the Messiah who would come. L listen to Isaiah 59, verses 14 through 17. This is what it says. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no injustice. Okay, I mean, this is life apart from God's design. This is life apart from the grace of God. So what's gonna happen? What are we to do about that? Well, we can't do anything, but God can. 
And so God is gonna send his Messiah to reverse the effects of the curse and sin and suffering and death. And so that's where then it picks up and it says, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. You see, the Messiah is the one who's coming with truth and righteousness and salvation to bring to those who have not yet experienced God's salvation. Does does that add some weight to like waking up tomorrow morning and wearing the armor of God? Can I get a walk? Like, that's right. Amen, that's good. Man, I am wearing the armor of Jesus when I wake up and wage the good warfare that God has invited me to participate in. So it's truth, it's righteousness, it's also the gospel of peace. Look at verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So Paul seems to be referring to this, this half boot that soldiers would wear, and it was heavily cleated so that they could stand their ground when enemies were attacking them, but also so that they could continue on a long march as they advanced in the battle. And he says that, that we have readiness through the gospel of peace. And I think this is, again, is twofold. It's not, it's not one-dimensional, it's multi-dimensional, okay? Number one, how can we be ready with the gospel of peace? Well, we need to continue to believe the gospel every single day of the Christian life. When, when we are assailed by temptation, hey, doesn't that look appealing? Isn't that alluring? Don't you want to go there? You know what we're saying? Hopefully what I'm saying and what you're saying is Christ is better, Jesus is the greater treasure. I'm I'm ready to withstand that because of who Christ is and what he's done for me. And now I want to love because he's loved me. But, But it's not only that, okay? Paul also knows Isaiah 52, and he quotes it in Romans 10, that says, how beautiful on the mountains are those who bring, the feet of those who bring good news. So we are ready with the gospel, not only to believe the gospel and stand in the gospel, but we also want to take that same gospel to everyone around us so that they can experience the peace of God like we have. And so two observations about this. Number one, is Paul writing to a person or people? That's a question. He's writing to people, right? He's writing to the church in Ephesus. All right, this is really good. He's writing to people who are in this thing together, and the implication then is what? We're all fitted out with some sweet gospel shoes. I know some of you women like shoes. I like shoes too, man. I got me a new pair. I had other pair we've been wearing out. Never mind. Um, <laughs> So we all have our feet ready with the shoes of the gospel, which means what? What's the implication? Whose job is it to take the gospel to others? Ours. And I know some of you are like, man, I don't want you to talk about that again this Sunday. Because I feel guilty every time you talk about it. And that's not from, like, that's not the goal, right? That's not from the Lord, okay? I mean, conviction is from the Lord, right? We want to... 
We want to have like a, a holy sense of, of conviction that moves us to share. But, but let me just encourage you, all right? This is not just the, the gospel. It is the gospel of peace. Peace does not. I, when, when we see this word peace in the Bible, it is built on the, the Hebrew concept of peace, which is shalom, all right? So it's not simply the absence of conflict. It's not just that, yes, yes, for those, I think you're with me, but please, please listen to this. Okay? It's not just that we who are apart from Christ are enemies of God and not on his team, but as Paul says in chapter two, we're actually on Satan's team carrying out his will and ways, all right? But, but now through the gospel, not only are we brought back to God, no longer in conflict with him, but now we actually experience everything that he wants for us. Flourishing, thriving, that's what shalom means. Shalom is experiencing God's best. Shalom is experiencing God's original design. So what this does then is it, it motivates me because I get intimidated too. And man, I, I hadn't shared the gospel for a couple of weeks. And, and so thankfully, uh, God gave me an opportunity uh, this week to, to chat with someone who's coming from a, more of an agnostic worldview. And so I'm walking through the three circles, just a tool we use around here. And I'm showing God's design and sin leads to brokenness, but it's through you know, repentance and faith that we can embrace the gospel and recover and pursue God's design. And I'm saying, look, I can't experience flourishing in my life apart from this gospel. I can't be the husband I want to be, the dad I want to be, the friend I want to be, the worker I want to be apart from the gospel. And, and so uh, she said, she said, well, well, I think I can experience flourishing in other ways. And I said, well, well, tell me about that. How do you experience flourishing? And she said, well, it's through relationships. It's through, it's through family and friends. And I said, I said, you know what, me too. And I said, you know what? I think that's because of God's design. You were made in the image of the triune God who has eternally existed in relationship, and that's why you find fulfillment in your relationships. And she was like, okay, yeah, I see that. So, well, well, what else? She said, well, if, if I didn't have family and friends, I don't think I would end my life. Isn't that interesting language? She said, I don't think I want to end my life because I would find fulfillment in doing good. But I would kind of need people for that, but... I would find good in interacting and doing good for others. And I said, you know what, me too. That's so good. And why is that? Because not only has God made us relational beings, he has also made us moral beings where we want to do good. And so all of, all of what she was looking for and finds fulfillment in is ultimately found in God's original design. It's his shalom. It's what he wants for us and what is best. So I hope that, that motivates you to say, look, what we are doing when we proclaim the gospel of peace is we are inviting people into joy. We are inviting people into abundance. We are inviting people into fulfillment, the greatest fulfillment that will never let them down, always satisfying. I mean, do we have to talk about the vanity of money and popularity? and Like, nothing will satisfy us like God will satisfy us. The gospel of peace. Number four, faith. Verse 16, he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts 
of the evil one. Okay, so a couple of things about this. This wasn't a small circular shield, okay? This was more like a, a, a full body, okay? Something that would be comprehensively protective for the foot, sh- foot sh- uh, soldier. And so in that day, they would take arrows that were, they were flaming to try to pierce into the shield and catch it on fire and, and, and render their, their weaponry uh, useless, all right? But, but what they would do is the, these shields were covered in leather. They would dip them in water before they went into battle. And then even if a, an arrow, a flaming dart, didn't, didn't bounce off of it, even if it stuck, it would be extinguished so that it rendered them no harm. And so this is what Paul says. He says, what's going to do that in your life when Satan wants to tempt you, when Satan wants to attack you and to discourage you? He says, it is your faith in Christ that's going to cause you to keep moving forward, to not be injured by one of these arrows. And so when you're tempted, and we can just go back to Ephesians 4 and 5, when you're tempted to greed, sexual immorality, or anger this week, will you hold up your shield of faith? Will you say Christ is better? Will you say God has a better path for me? He has has a shalom for me that I want to pursue rather than your destructive ways? When you're tempted to be anxious over the circumstances in your life, how will you respond? Will you respond with your shield of faith held up high? 1 John chapter 5, verse four says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. It's our faith. When we hold up faith in Christ, look to him as the object of our faith, that he is the answer in every circumstance, then we can, look at this, we can defeat, I hope you believe this today, we can defeat discouragement and depression We can defeat anxiety and fear. We can defeat struggle that sometimes leads to addiction. Next month in July, we're gonna be four weeks in the series we're calling Look Up. It's based on the Psalms and Psalm 121. I I lift my eyes up to the hill. And and we're gonna talk about these very practical issues of depression and discouragement, anxiety and fear, struggle and addiction. And we're gonna see how that when we look up to God, and he provides everything that we need. This is holding up the shield of faith. And just real quick, again, because he's talking to this church, all right, what happens if I'm marching into battle against a thousand foot soldiers on the other side, and I kind of go off on my own with my shield up high? What's probably gonna happen to me? I'm done, right? I'm done. But if I lock my shield with Sky and Christina and Michelle and Seth and Karen, Phil and Loretta. You know, if, if we lock shields, have you ever seen the movie Gladiator? There's this awesome scene in Gladiator where, uh, what's his name? Hold on. Maximus Decimus Meridius. I mean, I'm wondering why my parents didn't name me that. Mm. <laughs> Pastor Maximus. <laughs> I mean, like, maybe, can I, Marshall, would it be okay if I changed my, that might be a good church growth strategy. And I'm like, I'll go to Pastor Maximus's, never mind. All right, so (laughs) he says they're they're in the Colosseum. And this time it's not him and against a few others. They're like 15 foot soldiers in the Colosseum. And and the way the Colosseum works, as you see in the movie, there there would be animals and, and soldiers and they're coming in from all sides. 
And so you can imagine how, how, how much fear must have gripped them. And they're saying, we don't, we don't know what's gonna come out of these gates. And this is what he says. He says, whatever comes out of these gates, we have a better chance of survival if we work together. If we work together, we will survive. And so what happens is these chariots come out and these soldiers come out and there's no way, they stand no chance, but against all odds, because they huddle together with their shields up together, the chariots topple over and they're able to fight and to win and to stand strong. And so we are so much stronger when we fight together. Uh, Number five, salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. If you want to meditate on all you have in Christ, just go back and read Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3, and even 4, 5, and 6. We have everything in Christ. Knowing that we are saved brings security and confidence to us as we engage in the battle. Again, this can never be taken from us because of God's grace. No attack can jeopardize our standing with God. Our redemption is sealed. And then he gets into the word. He says, we also should wield the sword of the spirit. And again, I want you to think about this in two senses, okay? Number one, we can use the sword for self-defense. This would have been the, the shorter uh, sword that a, a foot soldier would have carried. And so as, as, as the enemy is coming close, we have to defend ourselves off. And we see Jesus doing this in the wilderness, right? Matthew 4, Luke 4, Satan tempts him, not when Jesus is strong, not after four days of fasting and prayer, but after 40 days of fasting and prayer. We're not unaware of his schemes, all right? He, he comes and he tempts Jesus, and, and how does Jesus fight off the temptation in every case? It's the sword of the Spirit. No, God's word says this. No, God's word says this. No, God's word says this. So, The sword can be for protective measures, but the sword can also be for offensive measures. As we sing about today, as we've heard uh, from the word, we use this as an offensive weapon to advance in the cause. As Jesus not only was tempted in the wilderness, he used the sword, but he also, when he was preaching to the crowds, he used God's sword of the spirit to help people see the ways of God. And so this is where I wanna pause and I wanna hit the third encouragement for you because I think it's almost almost easy to miss. It's almost easy to miss. And that that is this, go on the offensive. Go on the offensive. As you read this passage, you see Paul saying again, stand, stand, withstand, stand firm, therefore stand, and we could get the impression that all we are to do in the Christian life is to stand. Stand and protect ourselves. Stand and use the shield. Fend people off as best we can, okay? Uh, but what I wanna propose to you is that Paul had more in mind than simple protective self-defense. Now, we can debate about this, but I have four good reasons. I'm gonna give them to you real quick, all right? Number one, war, I think, generally speaking, war almost in every case presupposes advance. How can you win a war if you are not advancing in the cause, all right? I mean, if, if you're only defensing, I feel like you're under siege, not in a war, all right? So that's number one. Number two, protective armor does not mean passive or defensive. It just means protective, 
So I'm seeing a foot soldier that's on a march with his gospel shoes, and he's got his breastplate of righteousness, and he's got his helmet of salvation, and his belt of truth, right, and his shield of faith, but, but he's wearing all these protective weapons as he is on the offensive. Make sense? Number three, righteousness, truth, faith. We exercise all of these things, right? We put off and we put on. So these are, these are elements of our faith that have to be exercised, and, and, and I think that gives us another picture of advance. But then finally, as we saw, I think Isaiah 59 gives me um, more confidence than anything that the Messiah, just as the Messiah came, in light of the lack of truth and the lack of justice, and he comes to bring his salvation, so we who belong to him are also on the march to advance his cause and to bring righteousness, truth, justice, peace to those who need it. So I think Paul would say, look, not only stand and defend and protect yourself, but go on the march and bring salvation to all people as you live out your own salvation. I mean, one verse that really helps us here is Matthew 16, 18. Anybody know that one? I will what? I will build my church. Who's saying that? Jesus? Who's his church? Us? And what happens? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, so, so you see some opposition here? You see some, some language? Prevail against? Okay, like, who's on the offensive in this verse? The church. We are on the offensive, the gates of hell. The gates were protecting a city, and the gates will not be able to withstand our offensive attack. Jesus' offensive attack to bring his kingdom once and for all. We're on a victory march here. We are not to retreat and say, hey, I'm just going to tuck myself away here for a little while. I'm just going to kind of, you know, try not to be seen in the battle, okay? It's like, no, we, we, we engage. We do so with humility. We shine our light, not in a presumptuous or arrogant way. Hey, we have it all together. Look at us. Okay, we, we stumble and fall. We bumble around. No one's perfect in this room. But still, we're trying to grow to be like Christ. And so we need to shine that light as we go forth. And Paul gives us this greatest offensive weapon in the word, okay, which, which here is, seems to really be uh, looking at speaking forth the message of the gospel, which comes from the word, right? But then another offensive weapon, and, and, and the weapon that kind of empowers all of the other weapons is found in verse 18. It's a participle. He says, praying at all times in the spirit. So what's gonna make truth Effective. What's going to make your righteousness happen? What's going to help your faith? Apply the word. Move forward with the gospel. It's prayer. Prayer empowers everything. And so if you want to learn uh, how to, to pray, um, just go to verses 18, 19, and 20. The what is prayer? Uh, with all prayer and supplication. The when is at all times. Praying at all times with all prayer. The how is spelled out in 18, 19, and 20. We, we pray in the spirit. We pray alert with all perseverance. And we also pray that words would be given to our brothers and sisters and that, that they would have boldness, okay? So, so, so prayer is I think the weapon that, that reinforces all of the other uh, pieces of, of the armor. And so let me, just, let me just 
propose something to you here. Think about this. The greatest thing, one of the, one of the let me say, one of the best things you could do for someone is pray for them. Like, you know, Pastor Maximus, that's really, I mean, Pastor Tanner, that's really, uh, you know, that's really obvious. That's really obvious. I, I know that. Like, one of the best things I could do is pray for them, okay? Let me, let me turn that another way. One of the best things you could do for yourself is to pray for someone else. Why is that? It's because of this. When you pray for someone, when you pour out, when you serve, when you give yourself away, it is hard to get more like God than you are in that moment. The very nature of God is to pour out love. This is why he created the world. This is why he redeemed us. And so as we reflect this God who loves to pour out. There's a statement in a book I've been reading that says, God is far more willing to give than we are to receive. He's bountiful. He's he's, uh, overflowing in what he delights to give us and how he loves us. And so as we advance in his mission, we hold out his love to others and we pray for them, and we serve them, and we extend kindness, and we extend forgiveness when we're wrong. And every single time, we are not only doing them good, but we are doing even ourselves good, because then we get the blessing of the fellowship that comes from living in truth and righteousness and reflecting God in all things. And so here's, here's the concluding thought today. Here's the concluding thought. I love this. God's doing some good things in my life these days, and I need him to, because I'm weak and I'm vulnerable, and I don't always have my armor on like I want to. But this is what God's teaching me. Those verses in the early part of chapter five in Ephesians says, therefore walk in love. This is actually, to start off, it says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And then it says, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering. You remember these verses? And so, so what, I'm, what I'm learning is, is, is that as I walk in love, as I seek to be like God, like Christ, and give myself away, here's, here's what, how I'm viewing life now. Just pray for me that I would do it more, and I'm praying for you. I want to view my life each day as a series of opportunities to give myself away. I want to view my life. Think about it. I mean, you can't even begin to add up the countless number of times that you have in any given day to give yourself away, to serve someone, to build them up, to extend love to them, okay? If, if God is an, an ecstatic God, which means he loves to pour out, he loves to have another beside him, then we are called. I wish I had about 15 more minutes to unpack this because this is so good. We're gonna come back to it. Maybe Jody hit it next week. I'll be coming back to it for years to come, all right? Um, stick around. So, If God is an ecstatic God, then then we should be ecstatic Christians, right? We should love to give ourselves away. We should love to pour out. We should love to overflow. We should love to not hold back. And so whether it's in your your family or in your neighborhood or in your workplace or you fill in the blank, as you love and give yourself away, 
you are not only blessing others, but you are receiving so much in the process because God loves to uplift us and bless us as we live our lives like him and for him. So let's go on the offensive redemption hill. Yes, let's hold up our shield and defend, but let's advance the cause of Christ, this cause that is full of peace and love and mercy and joy. This is not, this is not anything but goodness as we advance his cause day by day. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love, your strength that you give us because we are not strong enough in ourselves. God, we thank you that you equip us with truth and righteousness and faith and salvation, your word to walk in day by day that we might, we might bring honor to you but that we might also love and serve those around us. So Father, I don't know the temptations that everyone is facing in the room, but I know that we all experience the battle. And I pray that, that wherever each person here feels the heat the most, Lord, that you would strengthen them to put on the armor of God and to experience your victory. And God, not only in temptation, but even on the offense, God, I pray that you would prick their hearts, that you would prompt them by your spirit. This week, prompt me by your spirit to love, to serve, to give, to forgive. Lord, all of these beautiful truths that we have now experienced because of who you are, Lord, help us to imitate, to reflect, to glorify you in all things. Amen.
I'm going to get our announcements started before I hand it over to John uh, for a couple of other special announcements. But um, to, today, I have some really exciting news to share with you, okay? It, it fits. It wasn't planned out because of this Sunday and talking about the armor of God and being not only defensive but offensive, uh, but it really works well because we want to be a church that, that continues to advance as God presents opportunities to us. And uh, to cut to the chase, um, we, our elders, and we, we shared this with our members a, a couple of weeks ago, um, we are planning to make a big move, all right? Um, September 13th, we just got official word uh, that this is a go. Uh, we're going to move not far. We're actually moving upstairs to the Chevalier Theater, all right? So I'm ready. I'm ready, I hope you are too. So I'll, I'll share, I'll save some of the backstory for later, but it's really cool. Like this opportunity came to us. We weren't, this was more in our kind of 10-year plan, not our four-year plan, uh, but we wanna be sensitive to how God is, is working and opening up opportunities. Um, many of you were there on Easter when we saw God uh, do a great work. And um, they're, they're, we have loved the Boys and Girls Club. In fact, the, the vision is to continue with our kids' ministries down here, which will give us even more space to be more creative and serve kids in a greater way. Uh, but we just really think that uh, our goal as a church is to, to be a healthy church that uh, helps people grow in Christ and also introduces people uh, who are far from Christ to Christ that they might know the joy that we know. And so we feel like that uh, that facility upstairs will afford some great opportunities uh, for us to continue to reach Medford and greater Boston uh, with the gospel, all right? So I think, I think you get that. I don't need to give you 10 reasons why it's a good thing, uh, but we'll, we'll talk more about it uh, moving forward. Uh, but let me just say this, okay? Um, how, how are we going to do that? Number one, uh, there are some financial implications, okay? The, the rent is going to be more, as well as uh, just some uh, equipment that we'll need to purchase on aud the audio end and, and, and some other pieces um, that, that will help us uh, serve there effectively. So what we're going to do is this. This is so cool. Um, I had shared this news before we share with the members just to get wisdom and input. I'd share this with about six pastors. A couple of them are coaches and mentors of mine. A couple of those are friends. They helped me, helped me help us think through this. And um, before we had even uh, knew it was a done deal and a possibility, um, we knew it was a possibility. We didn't know if it was a done deal. I had a friend who said, you know what? If you guys have that opportunity, our church will give you a gift of $5,000, a matching gift. Pretty awesome. And then, uh, and then I was at a, at a pastor's gathering uh, here in Boston, and, and another a friend on the South Shore said, hey, what's going on? How you doing? I was like, man, doing great. It'd be even better if you could hook me up with about 5000 for, you know, this big movie that we have in, this, in the fall probably going on. And he said, you know what? He said, I don't know if I can do five, but I can do two. Send me an email, and we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen. So just amazing. Like, I was just joking with him, and there's another 2000 So we have 7000 committed to this already. Um, the elders feel like this, okay? Um, we're, we're growing as a church, all right? We're not super old, but we're not a, we're kind of not a baby anymore. Um, so we, we think we need to act our age, all right? Maybe this isn't the goal that we're going to put out there isn't too encouraging, right? We're not very old. Um, but, but what we want to do is set an internal giving goal. We've never done this before, but what we want to do is raise internally outside of our weekly offerings above and beyond gifts, we want to raise $15,000 to go toward the ex expenses that are gonna offset our starting costs and help put us in a better position, all right? So we're, we're praying that God will do this really over the next few weeks and then, and then the summer. What we're gonna do is take up an offering, a special offering on June 28th, 
And, um, and here's, here's how this could break down. Just think about this, all right, $15,000. I don't know if that sounds a lot to, like a lot to you or not, but, but here's a scenario. If 10 people gave $500, some of us, that's, that's such a stretch of faith, and it's, it's probably not possible. For some, for some it's not. Um, but if, if 10 people gave 500, if 15 people gave 300, um, another 15 gave 200, 20 gave 100, and then, and then an additional 20 gave 50 or less, you can kind of see how that's built out, we're already well past the goal. So, so here's the challenge as elders, okay? As the pastors and leaders of our church, what we want to do is this, and we're a family here, we're all on mission together, right? Our goal is 100% participation, all right, 100% participation. And, and, and that is not just dollars and cents, okay? We want 100% of us, all right? Whether you're brand new, first time today, or have been around a long time, we want everyone praying. We want everyone giving something. You may not say, hey, I don't have 500, but I got five because I can give up a cup of coffee this week, right? So everyone giving something financially, everyone inviting as we move to the, to the Chevalier in the fall, September 13th, and then, and then also, I think even more importantly this, 100% of us expecting great things from God, 100% of us worshiping God in our new home. It's going to be awesome. I'm really enthused. It's a step of faith, to be sure. Uh, but that, that's, uh, that's who God has called us to be. And, um, and we'd love to answer questions that I don't maybe have time to answer right now. Uh, but, but what we'll do is we'll get information out. You can give on that Sunday. You can give online. You can send a check. Um, or you can give on an upcoming Sunday when you're here if you miss on the 28th. But, uh, but that's where we're heading. That's, that's the vision. And it uh, sounds like you're excited. I can't wait to uh, journey with you. All right? John's going to come up for the rest of the announcements. Thanks.